Welcome to Fitter and Faster. My name is Emma-Kate Lidberry, your host and managing editor here at Triathlete Magazine. Each month on Fitter and Faster, we tackle one triathlon training topic in depth, giving you everything you need to know. This month, with winter training in full effect and many of us stuck inside, we're talking all things indoor cycling. What are the pros and cons of indoor riding? How can it help your training? And how has indoor riding changed in recent years? After we've covered some of the basics, we'll be joined later in the episode by pro athlete and Ironman champion Meredith Kessler, who's been crushing it on the Zwift racing scene lately. We'll get her insights from an athlete's perspective about making the most of your training indoors, her preferred setup, and her tips for Zwift racing. Plus, we'll have our senior editor and resident gear guru, Chris Foster, joining us to get you set up with all the gear you need, from smart trainers to fans to rolling tables and plenty more. All of that after this short break. Want in-depth gear reviews, training stories on the latest science, exclusive content, discounts, and more? Then check out ActivePass. Our ActivePass membership gives you a magazine subscription, two VeloPress books, and access to all of our sister brands, including Velo News, Podium Runner, Yoga Journal, Women's Running, and plenty more. Go to triathlete.com backslash ActivePass. That's triathlete.com backslash ActivePass to find out more. Okay, so riding inside. It's something that, until fairly recently, we only did because of adverse weather or because you needed to squeeze in a workout after a long day at the office. But the rise of programs like Zwift and Ruby and the huge tech advances in indoor trainers has us looking at indoor riding in a whole new light. It's no longer something you just suffer through in mind-numbing boredom. Well, I guess it might be. You can now log on to a group ride with athletes from all over the world and race them in bunch sprints or hill climbs. You can recon recon a course you're planning to race in real life and get to know every corner and turn. You can work on boosting your FTP, your functional threshold power, in super short workouts that you can knock out in under 60 minutes. It's literally a whole new world. Riding indoors also allows you to focus on your training in a way that you can't always do when you're riding outside and there's traffic or stop signs or other road safety concerns. You can go all out on the trainer knowing that the worst that's going to happen is you might fall off it through sheer exhaustion and collapse in a sweaty heap on your garage floor. Now, back in November, coaches Joe Friel and Jim Rutberg joined us for episode 11 of Fitter and Faster, where we talked in depth about indoor riding. The two of them co-authored the book, Ride Inside, a guide to getting the most out of indoor cycling, smart trainers, apps, and more. Back then, we asked Joe what role he thought indoor riding plays in a tri-training program. Yeah, there's lots of ways it can be it can be a part of the training program. The most basic way people think of it is is as a way to uh, as a form of avoidance, avoiding bad weather, avoiding early sundowns after work, avoiding traffic, um, that sort of thing. That's, that's the sort of thing we all think about or have thought about historically when it comes to indoor training. But the worm has turned. We're now moving toward it becoming a way of training which has as much viability as any other form of training. So so we've definitely, we're, we're seeing a gigantic change right now in the way we think about indoor training. And so it's becoming a, an integral part of many, many athletes' uh, training uh, programs. Um, you can, for example, if you, if you live someplace where there are no hills, and you really want to do some hill type work, it gives you some opportunities to do that. Or if you live someplace like I live where there is no flat and you'd like to be able to ride on flat terrain for a change, that is one of the options you have there also is to, 
just do indoor training on a flat terrain as opposed to going out and trying to back off on 10% grades. It's just not possible in that case. So it's, it's opened up lots of opportunities for people to do things. But at the same time, there's lots of stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into later on, which the athlete must be aware of. And Jim had some interesting insights into how the trainer can really help newcomers to the sport. But one of the things that we talked about, that Joe and I talked about early on, was um, the idea that, especially for newer athletes, the best thing a coach can do for an athlete who's new to the sport or new for co- new to coaching um, is getting them to be more consistent. If we can get somebody to train um, to complete more of the workouts that are prescribed, or just add workouts uh, to the year every you know more every month, more every year, they're going to get better. And indoor cycling um, opportunities have really given people a chance to increase their monthly and annual um, training workload because of the convenience, because they're able to train at all hours of day and night um, in all weather conditions, things like that. Jim also gave us a rundown of the four different ways you can ride inside. But there are a couple, there are four different ways you can really train indoors. You can train off grid which is a trainer that's not connected to anything, uh, which is the old trainers, rollers, fluid trainers, things like that, being alone in your basement. As Joe mentioned, some pe- for, for a lot of people, that is the economical it, it, way to do it and the only way to do it. Um, and the positive side, even if you have other alternatives, is that it's simple. You don't have to worry about connections. You don't have to worry about the internet connection. Uh, you can get on and go. And you have to use internal motivation to, for all of the training you have to be able to be motivated to do the work. Uh, the next step is connected using the apps, using a smart trainer or some combination thereof, or just the, the head unit on your own bike uh, and structured workouts, things along those lines. Um, advantages are you don't often have to remember the workout anymore because it's, in, it's programmed in, uh, which can be very helpful for complicated workouts. Um, it, these systems often have ergometer mode, which uh, the, so the trainer is controlling the resistance can be very good for maintaining consistent power. And, you know, from a coaching perspective, gives us very nice looking power files. Um, and then it's the entertainment. You can, you can be on something like Zwift or you can be on RGT or Ruby, any of these other ones. You can ride in the Swiss Alps. Um, you can recon a course that you're going to use, things like that. Um, And then the next step up from that is interactive, which adds the social component, adds an accountability component because you can meet up for group rides, which uh, especially with COVID and everything, the accountability component of getting people to train. Some people are very, very motivated to train. Other people really need that. I'm going to meet somebody at the coffee shop kind of thing to get them on the bike. Mm -hmm. Um, The interactive apps help with that. And then, of course, there's the, as you mentioned, the e-racing and competition um, and then the, the downside to the interactive apps, I think Joe would agree, is that people can spend too much time racing, e-racing, group riding, and lose some of the specific training focus from that. And then the last way, which hasn't really been – has kind of been taken away from us, um, is the together. So that's the indoor classes, um, the group-led sessions, things along those lines. Um, the biggest benefit there is you have hands-on coaching. Uh, there's an instructor at the front of the room. There's somebody watching you on the bike. Um, there's somebody who can kind of direct 
what you're doing and how you're doing it. Uh, there's obviously the social component to it. And the downside to the together training classes often is that there's a lack of progression. So because everybody is coming in for a one-off class, it can be hard, but it's not necessarily building on itself the way a training plan would be. So those are uh, how we looked at the different ways that you could train indoors and each of them having some pros and cons and not necessarily being uh, altogether, you know, one being better than the other. They all have their place uh, within indoor cycling. And of course, what about the limitations of indoor riding, especially for triathletes? Joe expands on that here. Yeah, um, head-to-head racing and 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 um, virtual racing are really not exactly the same thing. They're quite similar, but not not the same thing. One of the biggest for triathletes, one of the most important things a triathlete has to be aware of when they're when they're riding indoors, whether it's in a in a virtual race or if they're just doing a, a hard uh, race-like workout, is that you must be aero. You, that that's you don't have to do it indoors. You can you can sit in a position you want to on the bike. I'm sure someday, the way this is changing, trainers and apps will know what your body position is, and it'll slow you down if you sit up. Uh, for mm. example, in a triathlon, uh, in trying to ride, you know, sitting up, it'll it'll actually uh, cause you to slow down. We're not there yet. That's going to happen. Everything else is coming around, which is amazing. I might I would say, but. So that will happen. So, so for right now, anyway, the athlete has to be very aware that they're training for triathlon. And in triathlon, you don't sit up so you can increase your power output. You have to be in the aero position to de- decrease your, your drag. And so if yeah. you're not abiding by that very basic norm of triathlon, then you're really kind of wasting your time by doing that type of training or racing. Uh, because you're learning bad habits. It's it's just a, a, a skill you must have as a triathlete. You must have an aerodynamic position on the bike. Otherwise, there's going to be tremendous um, slowing down taking place. So that, that's the starting point. Is you have to be aware of the differences between the two. And that, for a triathlete, is one of the major differences between the two. Um, beyond that, you know, there's little things like when you're – when you're in a head-to-head race, you kind of get a sense from seeing the person ahead of you how they're feeling. You can tell what they're, you know, right. how it's going for them it's by looking at their body position, their, their breathing rate, um, and as you get closer, you become more aware of the sounds they're making and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And that doesn't exist indoors right now. Again, I probably will eventually, but for right now, you've got you're you're really kind of stuck with looking at this. At this avatar on the screen, and, and this 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 person is not really giving you all the signs that a real person gives you when they're racing. You don't know if they're at their limit or if they've got lots of room left to go yet. That's just something you don't know. And unfortunately, that that's just part of the way indoor racing is. So there there are just lots of things out there that are, that are different, unique about um, racing indoors versus racing outdoors. Someday, I suspect we'll have racing indoors, and it'll be the parallel to racing outdoors, uh, because that's definitely the direction we're going. But there'll always be people who are more comfortable racing outdoors, and there'll be people who are more comfortable racing indoors. So, so there's going to be this this divergence in in the sport, I think, uh, to some extent, in terms of the types of races people enjoy doing. So we're adding another category to the sport, 
um, which is just now blooming, just now starting. But in a few years, we'll see what's happened of all this. And I suspect that's the direction we're going. Of course, both Joe and Jim agreed that riding inside not only helps from a road safety point of view, but also if you're really trying to hit some high intensity work. As a coach, I'm, I'm often worried about my athletes. I give them very hard workouts to do on the road. And I know there's going to be traffic and there's going to be intersections they have to go through. And some people are very safety conscious. And I've discovered many athletes who are not. They just, right. they kind of like, they keep their fingers crossed and hope it's not, going to, it's not going to happen to them today. And for the most part, it doesn't. But riding indoors takes, you know, gives the, it gives you that option of doing the workout that it could be very, very difficult to do where you live. I, I you know, where I live, if I want to go find a, a flat course and do time trial type work training on, I've got to ride my bike something like about 15 miles to get there. Mm-hmm. And so 15 miles there, 15 miles back, I've already got 30 miles in and I've still, and I've still got to do the whatever the workout was once I got there. And that's many people have that problem. I've had people contact me and say, hey, you told me, you told me to do these to do some hills. Well, you know, I live in Florida. There's no hills here. So what do I do? And, you know, so it's just so many options that indoor training gives us in terms of that sort of thing. It, it's a great it's a great tool. Mm-hmm. The other component of that is the intensity factor. So if somebody's doing a really high intensity interval session, um, you know, we see it from the track athletes. Sometimes um, they can empty the tank to the point where they're really almost falling off the bike or their heads are dropping or they're, they're pushing all the way through the end of the interval. And that's not necessarily safe to do on the road. Uh, we don't want – you have to reserve some level of energy to stay upright stay out of traffic, um, keep yourself safe. Indoors, you don't have to reserve that um, mm-hmm. that energy. You can literally put it all out and fall off the bike. Not, I mean, that's not hopefully what you're doing, but it, it, you can really empty the tank um, on some of the hardest workouts. Okay, after this short break, we'll be joined by Ironman champion Meredith Kessler to give us the athlete's perspective on riding indoors. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to subscribe to Triathlete Fitter and Faster wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you hear, rate and review us as it helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. Meredith Kessler, thanks so much for joining us on Fitter and Faster today. We are uh, excited to talk to you about all things indoor riding. You're somebody who's um, probably put a few million miles on your trainer, right? You know it. You've got to, Emma Kate. You've got to. <laughs> so long before Zwift was even a thing, I know. You, I know you've been crushing it on the Zwift scene lately. But when it comes to indoor riding, you know, long before we had avatars and uh, and Zwift and all those things, you were somebody who was putting a lot of time in indoor on on you know the trainer indoors. Talk to us a little bit about why that was and and what appeals to you about it and and how it served you. Sure. Thanks for asking. Yeah, so even before the days of Zwift, because I've been on Zwift actually since its genesis, but even before that, I remember I was working in San Francisco. Uh, I worked at an investment bank, and I knew I was only going to have these like certain pockets of time to get any cycling training, and it needed to be before going into the office and all that. And I found uh, what was then called Endurance in San Francisco, and it was a cycling studio with about you know 20 
compu trainers at the time in a little room and you had an instructor leading it and fast forward, I became one of those instructors and taught in there for 10 years, you know? And so, but my point is it's just was quality over quantity. I mean, you could get so much uh, work done within an hour and a half class before you headed to the office. And that at the time, that's when I, I met my former coach there and he was leading the classes at the time. And so we, I, it just kind of took off from there. And I realized, wow, how much I got out of those training sessions. And honestly, mm-hmm. that was literally in like 2000 and 2000 and like two. So I have been a promiscuous indoor uh, cycling cyclist now for many years, but I just wanted to say that also EK is our brand is balance. And it, it and, I, and I don't say that lightly, like anyone can just like throw that around. But mm-hmm. for me, especially, you know, at 42 years old and having done, like having a lot of cycling miles on my legs, I have to be very cognizant of time spent training, also time spent on the bike. And even before, you know, the swift rage, which I love, um, I, I truly felt that I would, uh, me being on a bike for eight hours just isn't going to happen. Like, I, mm-hmm. I want to make time for family, friends. I'm not saying it's bad. If you need to go ride, it's not like I don't go and need to ride for Ironman training, need to ride five hours outside. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for your your rides that you want focus and efficiency and control and quality, I do those uh indoor and yeah since i moved from california to ohio especially in the dead of winter i'm doing 100 percent of my cycling indoor and as you know like it's getting unsafe outside as well and it just it kind of gives um just benefits just to keep it simple keep it balanced keep it controlled and stay inside and zwift by the way has allowed it to be a lot more fun than back in the right days you know yeah. Yeah, we used to just sit on the uh, sit in the garage yeah. looking at the walls and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you kind of stole my next question because I was going to ask you what percentage of your training is currently <laughs> indoors and what's outdoors. Uh, but it's it's 100% indoors right now. It, it is um, because obviously there's no I'm not going anywhere for like a training camp or anything like that. And I and I probably wouldn't even if we weren't in a pandemic. Uh, I do. I do 100% of my race of my riding indoor and I would say in the summer when the weather gets better, I'm still at 80%. So if that tells you anything, I just feel like it, it parlays out onto the real race course. And don't get me wrong, I need to have bike control. And trust me, normally right now, EK, I'd be in New Zealand with Paul Buick, and he'd be like devastated mm-hmm. by my outdoor riding ability because I've spent all winter indoor. <laughs> and he would like... I, we'd have five very intense days on the bike, not not as, to, as in terms of like hard watts or power. I mean, just like getting used to bike handling, you know. Uh, so I I am rusty when I come out of it, but then it, you know muscle memory it comes back and uh, it just works for my my family life and. Um, being a mom right now too, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I can do this downstairs while Mac is napping upstairs. And so it just right. allows that, that balance. And I, and I really enjoy it. If I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it, but I genuinely enjoy it. Yeah. And that's, and that's so important, right? right. Especially when, when you're trying to make sure that you log the consistent miles day in, day out. And um, like a lot of age groupers find too, balancing it around family, balancing it around sure. work. It's very easy just to be able to dive on a bike that's downstairs in the basement or out in the garage and boom, you're away. Um, but yeah, you mentioned there the handling and the, and the obviously bike control, uh, bike handling, descending, cornering, there's things that you just can't do on a, on a bike indoors that you actually have to do outdoors. And you obviously have to do when you're racing. Um, so 
what would be your i mean and not everybody is uh, lucky enough to have a, a bike coach like uh paul buick over in new zealand right so exactly. what would be your what would be your takeaways or your tips for people who maybe do spend all winter riding indoors and then they have to learn almost learn how to control handle a bike again when they go outdoors absolutely so i would i would honestly suggest what i'm going to be doing is you know i am in a race in in march march 12th i'll get there a couple days before but not that many days before to practice and so like take that out of it if i were just going out in the spring and it's going to be my first you know uh, outdoor ride and say arbitrarily three uh, it'll probably be like three or four months since i've been outside don't worry about any time, any pace. I would like 100% focus on your handling skills. Like as you're riding, think about, you know, are my knees in check? Are my arms relaxed? Is my saddle too high or too low since I haven't been on this bad boy in three to four months out here? Like think about form, right? And then yeah. honestly, I will do this even having done this sport for so long. I will go to a local high school parking lot and I will just start doing a hundred turns around the parking lot to try oh, yeah. to, to just try to turn and look. Hey, I'm I'm not a gravel racer. I'm not an Xterra racer. I'm not any of that. So I don't have. I choose courses to be honest that aren't going to be that technical because I'm not a technical rider and I never have been. Um, so, but I still need to learn how to get out of transition and not. I don't want to you know affect anyone else's race by not being you know very fine-tuned on those little technical things. So I will go to a parking lot and I, I'll, I've even been known to set cones up and literally just try yes. to like ride around them. So I remember how to turn and handle, okay, weight on my left foot if I'm turning left. And okay, like, do, you know, just like focus on those things. Um, I would go on a bike path too where you're not worried about outside for a little bit, like your first few rides, like if you have yeah. access to a bike path. Um, it just makes it easy so you're not worrying about like traffic lights or, you know, too many cars or whatnot. And you can really focus on that form and, and technique in that in that capacity. Yeah. And that's actually super fun to do, too. Like when I was coached by Julie Dibbins, she would get uh, a bunch of us in a high school parking lot and throw down a bunch of cones. And we'd have to be doing like figure of eights around them, pick them up, put them back down. You know, and it's it's actually harder than especially on a tri bike. It's harder than it seems. So but that hard. is something mm -hmm. that is something, though. That's a good tip. Like that's definitely something that and I've kind of forgotten that we used to do that. But I think that's a good tip for people who are looking to just to. I think just get used to being at home on a bike again, outdoors. Right. You know? right. um, yeah. And so I know that you like to call your pain. I mean, a lot of people have different names for their, for their setups and their pain caves, right? But you, the Meredith Kessler pain cave is called the she shed. Is that correct? <laughs> and you know what? It is only because EK, I saw it on like some commercial, uh, some insurance commercial. Uh, this woman on, on the commercial was something burned down on the commercial. She's like, my she shed. And I was like, that is so funny. That's, that's what my little room is. It's my she shed, you know? Um, and so, yeah. So since I saw that, I don't know, maybe a year ago or whatever, I've been like, hey, Aaron, I'm going down to my she shed. I'll be back in a bit. Yeah. So yeah. My she shed is my office too, right? But it's, like, right. it's, it's more where work it's, done. it's where it all happens. Yeah. Right. It's where the magic happens. So talk us through your your she shed what is in your she shed you got uh, obviously like obviously starting with all the indoor all the stuff that helps you ride indoors what, what have you got there all right when you walk in let me tell you well first of all we lived in california as you remember for like 20 years and then we moved to ohio there's a lot more space in ohio than california if you oh, yeah. like own a home you know and we rented for 20 years and this is the first time in our lives so we were 40 at the time that we've owned a home right and 
I literally, this is just a special story because I hugged the owner, a former owner of our house at the closing of our house because he was, you know, he's 70 years old, years old, but he was a football player in college. He played for Iowa and he put a lot of heart and soul. It was like this house was meant to be ours. He put a lot of heart and soul into the downstairs area. He finished everything and you walk down the stairs and if you go to the left, you go into like the living room and there's a kitchen and everything, which is so nice for your downstairs, especially with a three-year-old in the dead of winter, he has space to like run. But then you go right and then there's this, you know, there's this little room that's a gym or my she shed and it has like the gym flooring on it. Like literally I was like, Jim, that was his name. This was meant to be like my she shed and it has a big mm-hmm. baseball player on it because he, he was like, and my husband's a, you know, baseball, basketball, football kind of guy. And he played all those sports and growing up. So there's a big like decal of a football player on the wall, a big decal of a baseball player and a, and a basketball player. But then my dad got me a swim bike runner. So we have that in here on the oh. walls. Um, and then I have my treadmill set up, um, which uh, it, the treadmill has then this Apple TV that Swift so kindly sent me in front of it. Uh, we can talk about that. And that's where I'm running in game on Swift. And mm-hmm. then I have my um, Saris H3 uh, smart trainer, and that has my bike on it with a little, like we all need those stands right in front of you that has, you know, um, has a holder for your cell phone because that's where I use my Swift companion app and you mm-hmm. need that app for power-ups. And then it also has another um, a screen, like an Apple TV screen that I'm, I'm watching myself in game. Of course you need a fan. Um, you need all your towels, you need a couple pairs of shoes, and let me tell you what you need the most of, good internet. Because if you don't have internet, you're you're totally, it's game over, literally. Um, And who gets in trouble if our internet drops? I yell at my husband. (laughs) It's always his fault, EK, always his fault. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But no, you need good internet, so of course, before races and stuff, I have like the pod of like the internet's right outside the room I'm in, like yeah. So the she shed is very important because it's just like my little nook, and um, you know, you have to have all your nutrition and your hydration, and a lot goes into e-racing, which we'll talk about, but like, um, I also have to have an area where you can put like, a camera because a lot of the times you're on camera for these e-racing things. Right. And so yep. it's been very interesting. Like you're preparing for a race literally. So and we can talk about that, but that's in summary, that's what's in, in my she shed here. Also I'm looking over at it cause I'm in it right now talking to you, but it has, you know, some weights and a roller for this old bod and uh, you know, <laughs> a bunch of, of yoga mats and all that good stuff. So that's what we have. It sounds very, very well equipped. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm impressed. No, but so to, to recap there, so like obviously a smart trainer, um, a rolling table or some way of setting up um, all the things that you need to have set out in front of you, obviously all your fuel, your, fu- your, yeah. your food, um, drink, um, a, a fan, um, obviously very, very good internet if you're going to be doing any kind of uh, racing over the internet. And um, what else have I missed there? What Oh, uh, towels. Towels, extra... Um batteries for your heart rate monitor because you know you got to have everything like we have to have uh, second data your garmin um we have to have a lot of that so i have all that um i always have extra batteries extra nutrition um 
my lip gloss because that's important. Erasing makes your lips camera. very dry. You need to have some form of chapstick. <laughs> um, and my AirPods, got to have those because you got to have the beats in your ear for all this right. stuff, you know? Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so they're obviously so you've obviously been racing on Zwift for many years, and you've been doing extremely well on the Zwift scene lately. And it's obviously been like a replacement to real life racing. You know, mm-hmm. Virtual racing has been um, one of very few ways that pros have still been able to make some money. So um, talk to us about the Zwift racing scene and, and how that works. And you obviously mentioned a few things there, like power-ups mm-hmm. and things that are quite specific to you know, being in-game, yep. um, which people who maybe aren't familiar with Zwift wouldn't know necessarily what that means. So tell us uh, tell us all about Zwift as if, we, as if we know nothing about it. No problem. Um, well, first of all, Zwift is such an amazing platform to try to get fit and thrive, especially whether you're in a pandemic or not, but it has provided us all this resource that's pretty amazing. If you really think about it, you're literally on a platform, a cycling platform. I come in my she shed, I plug in my sports, uh, my, you know, my smart trainer, I turn on this TV, I go on my Zwift companion app, I link, I'm linked in, I press what course I want to do. And here, there I am riding with people from all over the world. Some days there are 40,000 people riding with me across the world. Um, for, literally, I, it's unbelievable, right, that you can do that. Then Zwift yeah. takes it up, up a notch in, in that, oh, you know what, today I have some there's a couple of things you can do in there. You can create your own workout. You can put your smart trainer on what's called erg mode, which means the Mm -hmm. trainer goes to the Watts you want to do. So you Mm -hmm. can do that if you'd like. And I do that sometimes based on what, what cycling workouts Cato gives me. And then maybe I have some, some thing where I have a 20 minute interval I need to do. Okay. I'm going to go to the event screen of Zwift and I'm going to jump in this, this crit that I think will take me, you know, 20 minutes. It's the best thing ever because then I'm stimulated. I'm with, I'm I'm like engaged. I'm riding with people all over the world in this race. Um, it's really cool to think about. And, and, but then I want to make sure I say with Swift in general and with certainly with Swift racing, here's the deal. You either drink the Swift Kool-Aid or you don't. I guzzle it. Okay. So I <laughs> guzzle it because it provides me this, resource to be able to get in quality, efficient, amazing training and get fit for what we need to do in real life. And I really believe that work parlays into in real life racing that you do in the trainer and here and on Swift or whatnot. So um, Swift takes it that way. And now what they've done is they take it to what's called what we've said, e-racing and Mm -hmm. where you're, uh, for example, there's I'm in a couple different leagues because I drink the Kool-Aid. So I'm, um, I am on what's called I race like a girl. Angela Nath created this team years ago and we have this, like this team, we do a bunch of cycling races. We're in a, uh, we're in leagues that go on Monday. Now here's what's interesting. Those are with psych, a lot of psych, even though our team, a lot of us are triathletes, we're mm-hmm. racing against true cyclists who don't pro cyclists, just cyclists. Honestly, there's some girls on there. Um, EK that literally they've never even ridden outside in their life. They are like literally uh, yeah. Peloton people that turn to this and they're, they're good. I'm like, God, they're so good. So my point is they have, I, I race with them a lot. And, and then when I get with the triathletes, because here's the deal with the cyclists, 
we it's awesome. That's their craft, right? They don't have the, the swimming and running and such on their legs. And the triathletes, we do because we're all on the same playing field. So I love I love you know, getting my butt kicked by these cyclists, it makes it a little bit easy, not easier by any stretch, but a little more manageable when you're with triathletes, because you're, you're entering the same playing field that they are, meaning you all swim, bike and run a ton, right? But it's not just cycling only. So my point is, Swift has done these leagues with cyclists that I do with I race like a girl every Thursday, we do a team, what's called a team time trial. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing races that I would never do in real life because I would never, you will never see me in a crit, EK, unless I am (laughs) in game because I'm too afraid I don't have those handling skills. Um, But also uh, just, you know, having that camaraderie with the team and everything is is pretty rad. And and Amanda Wendorf and and Angela, they have created this and they, they do all this admin. I mean, it's like a true team and we really look forward to it every Thursday and we have a great great group of girls that rotate in and out of that. And then we have a premier league series. That's usually once a week for eight weeks at a time. And we get paid for that. Meaning if you get in the top five, your team based on what will get a payment and you can split it up between the team or just put it in the team, you know, bank or whatever. So that's kind of cool. Then Zwift created a Z pro tri series. And this has been amazing, right? Yeah. Um, I think this is our third one. The first one was like one race, all biking just one race it was maybe 40 minutes let's say arbitrarily us and um it was probably four of those races and then series two was three bike races um maybe there's been four series doesn't matter three little bike races that were maybe 15 to 20 minutes each and you had maybe 10 minutes recovery in between each and then this last series um is bike run bike so you bike a non-drafting and then we'll get into power-ups you your first race is a time trial, meaning you're, there's no drafting enables. And by the way, they neutralize in Zwift for this, all of our equipment. So it can be sponsor related or whatever you want it. No equipment is going to be better than, than, than another. Whereas in our other leagues equipment, like you want the best equipment, you want the disc wheel, you want a certain, even if it's not your sponsor, let's say you, if you, if it's not in your sponsor contract to do this, but this is the faster bike, you, you know, you go with the faster bike, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this series, you do a TT climb. It's probably anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes. No drafting is enabled. It's pretty much just go all out up a hill for however long it is, okay? So that's race one. You go, and then it's stressful, right? Because there's so much you have to make sure, like, the, the trainer's on, your setup, your camera's on you, because the camera, um, because Matt Lieto and Sarah True are the commentators on this broadcast, which is amazing. They talk for two hours straight about all of us racing. It's so awesome of them and yeah i've watched a couple of them now they're good they're They're good good. it's a lot of effort to do that especially with e-racing where people are looking at your avatar and then like listening to them and then they might flash in you on your actual in your actual she shed or man cave whatever you want to call it doing the racing and they put your watts up and your heart rate and all that good stuff but um race one and then then you kind of has to hustle and get on your treadmill and make sure everything's in sync uh with your treadmill and if you have a pod on your foot to sink into a swift i have what's called a npe run which means it's um that's what's allowed because the swift pod wasn't accurate enough so they wanted us to do this route which is great um so it just it goes by the speed of my belt which is more accurate than a foot pod so mm-hmm. you set that up and then you run 5k um, pretty much as fast as you can to get however many points you think you can get for the paces given. 
Um, for example, last week they upped the pace to basically you needed to go under 5:30 pace to get the most amount of points, and before it was under 5:40 pace. That 10 seconds a mile makes a huge difference. But I remember right. I was like, I gotta go for it because these runners are gonna go for it, and you need the most amount of points. So okay, so you did the TT climb race. You had about 10, 12 minutes to get on your treadmill, get ready for 5k. Um, run, which obviously, as I said, is points because they were visually like, you know, triathletes jacking their like racing and, and they didn't want to risk injury. I mean, can't you imagine Lionel Sanders going up to like 19 miles per hour on his treadmill trying to like, <laughs> and I would say it to his face, you know, I'm just saying he's so good and so intense. He would go as fast as he can, but we don't want people flying off their treadmill. That's why they did it based on the pace, right? Right. Then we have about 10 more minutes and we get and we go back off. I know I change into different spandex, new socks and just like take a gel. And then we go into a, a crit that's anywhere from 14 to 16 minutes where we're doing six laps of something. And within that lap, there is um, in what's called an intermediate sprint. And it's anywhere from 15 to 25 seconds, something like that. And um, basically you get points uh each lap in that intermediate sprint. And the thing is, just like an outdoor race, you need to do your due diligence. Like you, you need to know where that sprint is and either go for it or don't if that's not your strategy. But like you need to know the course, just like you, you need to know it in real life. You need to know those little intricate details. And just like a race, I study the course, I study what I need to do. I, I practice it on, we have this luxury on Zwift to be able to practice courses and stuff and do the recon, right? Do the, re, do the due right. diligence. So anyway, we do that crit and that's just savage. I mean, you're just like, it's so much fun. You're having camaraderie um, with, you know, with the other ladies that are in there and, you know, we're all in the pen before and it's like dead silent. And I know Mel McQuaid and I were trying to talk to people, but I get it. Everyone's, it's nervous. Like it's nervous energy. You're like, this is so savage for like 15 minutes. And you know, everything ends. I always have to say in this too but you're like oh my gosh this is going to be so hard for 15 minutes I mean I love it I relish in it it's so hard yet so good you know what I mean and so yeah and that's very much like the real thing too like that nervous energy before oh. the gun goes and you know all those all those feel all those nerves all that anxiety all those feelings pre-race and then having to go, go boom execute oh my gosh um, but what about the things that are very different to real life racing because you've got all the yeah. you know, you've got the power-ups you've got that you you are in yeah. a video game and there are times where you can you have to be smart about yeah. the gamification of it right you have to yeah you have to, in order to maximize your strategy as a racer you have to not just race your bike but make sure that you're doing the right thing in game so tell us a little bit about that because that's something that's quite probably for people who haven't been on Zwift they probably haven't got much concept well obviously most people have played Super Mario right yeah. but it's like Super <laughs> yeah Super Mario, it's Mario like meets meets bike racing yeah Super Mario meets Pac-Man too I mean you're just trying like squirrel <laughs> trying to get a nut but no one thing that is different is like in real life racing, you can't always see what's going on either ahead of you or behind you or, you know what I mean? You don't, unless someone's out there by you giving you splits or whatever, but like in, in game, you're literally, you can see who, who you're with. You can see who might be um, 10 seconds ahead of you or five seconds behind you. You can, you know, what's going on at all times. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that's, that's cool. Right. Um, but what's different is, like, for example, Sky, uh, Sky Munch, she's in six, whatever altitude out in Utah. That's extremely hard. So what I'm saying is not everyone is on the same course. They're on the same course in, in game, but they're out of their own home. So some people like 
honestly, EK, if you did it on Boulder, it's harder. Like when Kate joins the TT races, I'm like, Kate, you're crushing it. She, uh, uh, Kate, for those of you who don't know, is uh, a strength coach out in Boulder at Rally. And she's also my cycling coach and dear friend. She's on the Thursday TTs with me. And I'm like, yeah. you're doing this in altitude and doing the same as everyone else. That's very impressive, impressive, you know? So like Sky, for example, and I'm sure there's other ladies I don't even realize are in altitude, but that's a factor, you know? Mm -hmm. And what else is a factor is you have to take, and this is what I always say, you have to take e-racing with a grain of salt. Okay, now in our races um, that we do, especially these platinum leagues, you do weigh-ins. You have to weigh yourself, okay? Right. You have to video the weigh-in, put it on YouTube, send the link. You have to have two sets of data. So I have my data that my Spark trainer is providing in Zwift, so in-game. And then I have separate data, completely separate, that's not linked to my trainer. It's from my pedals going to my Garmin. And unfortunately, but you know, but fortunately, so like I, I like that asset because let me tell you, I'm 130 pounds. If I put that I'm 110 pounds in game, I'm going to climb a lot faster up that hill. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I mean, that was something that was super controversial when like when the Zwift yeah. racing first took off in the early stages of the pandemic. I think it, it feels yeah. like it, correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like it's a little bit more in control now. Totally. But, um, 100%. It was something that had to get nailed down because that was, that was an obvious, well, right. it looked like there were some results that were like, whoa. Right. Really? Right. It's, mu it's so much better now. Um, okay. That's but good. no, like beyond words, also because you do need to provide the weigh-ins and the second data, that's huge. Uh, um, mm -hmm. And Zwift has, has done a great job of creating Zwift Power website where you have to download those things and such. And honestly, yeah, your peers know, like if, if, if like your watts per kg are way higher than like anyone else's. There's sometimes like a, a, a little red flag, but I will say it's gotten mm -hmm. so much better, but you still regardless need to take it with a grain of salt because it's not in real life racing there. You're everyone's on different trainers and different equipment and different, you know, everything's just different. It's just cool to be able to try to thrive together. And um, I mean, honestly, I, I may do well in, in game, I could get out there in Miami and be absolutely horrible. Like right now I think, all right, I can run this pace and I can do these watts. And hopefully that's still the case when I go race in real life. But I kind of, I've talked to Matt Lieto about this before is sometimes too with a treadmill and these races, I just put it on a pace and I'm like, it makes me go that fast. And I hang on outside. Right. That's not always easy to do. I don't have it. I don't have, I don't, press a button on my legs and say, please run 525 pace, but on the treadmill, I can do it. You know, I can put that yeah. pace in. So it's much different. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's the case. Uh, we earlier in the show we heard from uh, Joe Friel and Jim Rutberg, authors of uh, the book Ride Inside, and they were both. Jim was talking especially about how he thinks in the future we'll have professional athletes who make a living in e-racing, mm -hmm. right? They and that's their thing, and you can take them outside, and they might not, you know, mm -hmm. that, that talent and that fitness and the strategy that they know for indoor racing and successfully indoor racing just simply doesn't translate. And obviously, you can have athletes that do both, and you can have athletes that will always just be racing outside. But there's, yeah, there's um, the future, you know, the, the future of esports, especially since the pandemic, is is pretty bright. It is um, really bright. I mean, they've just created a movie star league that's that's called that where they'll be getting given free, you know, Canyon bikes. And like, it's, there's leagues that I don't even know of that exists that, you know, get paid and like teams, cycling teams get paid to e-race. So yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. So yeah, it's an interesting future. It's not maybe one that we thought we'd see <laughs> yeah. as soon as we have, but yeah. <laughs>
Um, okay, so to wrap up MBK, we've got a couple of questions from our audience, uh, which we're going to throw at you. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Bike maintenance, your favorite topic, I know. Oh, right. Um, so <laughs> this question is, what bike maintenance should I be doing specific to indoor riding to keep my drive truck, sorry, drivetrain and components in good shape? Love it. And EK, you would say that because maintenance is, yes, my least favorite. Like if I get it, why I ride tubulars, I'm like, give me the pit stop and the CO2 and I'm good. But oh my gosh, you've been with me many times where I'm like, really, Paul, can you help me? <laughs> um, okay. But really, in all seriousness, you do, you do have to like, make sure I was, I was saying to you earlier that um, I was starting a race the other day and my pedal came off. <laughs> And you have to make sure your bolts are tight still because you're still moving around on the bike, right? Your saddle, check your saddle, make sure it's tight. Check your uh, pedals, make sure they're tight. My drivetrain, I will say I do take my bike off the trainer at least maybe every six weeks just to mm -hmm. run through the gears. I often, I, I probably change the chain every, th I'd say three months because mm -hmm. it can get beat up, like, right? I oil it, by the way, I, before every important race, before, especially Wednesday, I will oil it, make sure everything, every gear is working because if you don't have the gears you need in game, it's really not going to work. Like you can't right. not have your hardest gear in game, especially in a crit, right? So, yeah, for um, sure. So those are the main things I, I'm very, and obviously to make sure your DI2 is charged, if, should you have mm -hmm. that, make sure your gears work because um, typically you don't go into the small chain ring that much, but you still, in case you feel like you need to, need to make sure that you can switch between everything. Um, and yeah, that's the main maintenance tips that I have, just like you would do in real life. Just check those bolts, check the DI2, make sure you can gear, um, and, and everything else should shimmy into place. Okay. It's still important to pump the tires oh, too, right? Thank you. Yeah. I had said that. Yes. Uh, the other day I looked down, I'm like, man, I feel really low. I, even though my back, I don't have a wheel on obviously the, my back, um, my back wheel, but my front wheel was completely deflated and it does, especially at 42, yeah. like my knees were kind of aching and I, like my back. And I'm like, that's an inch lower that I can't be. So I pumped my tire. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. That's a hundred percent right. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like indoor riding can be pretty brutal on your bike and you know, all, all bike components and bike, you know, um, mm -hmm. just bike maintenance is as is probably as important as it is riding outdoors a lot, I think. But it is. I did also want to say though that I am currently on my road bike um, because with these leagues you have to do a test on what what trainer and what bike you're using. So I don't I for the next six months I'm not changing that because it's too much right. a lot of dramatic. But what I would say I also have that Saris platform and yes. I put it on there. It's so hard because it's supposed to like, you know, it moves underneath the trainer. Yes. So that's been yep. really cool to try too. It, it, see there's so many components and little little like gadgets you can get to try to make yourself oh. better. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's super cool. Yeah. All the Wahoo stuff like the yeah. uh the what's the gadget you put in the you can go it helps you descend or um oh, right yeah <laughs> and there's a new steering but yeah no, i know what you mean there and zwift is introducing a new steering you can steer on your bike yeah <laughs> i haven't done yeah. it yet i haven't done it yet oh so that leads us nicely to this next question yeah. what supplementary workouts would help compensate oh, for the lack of outdoor riding i love this question here's why one thing Zwift has done is they have like the Zwift Academy, right? And I, mm -hmm. I go on there if I don't, if like I'll go on the Zwift Academy, like so when you log into Zwift, you just go to workouts and it 
they have all these workouts already in place. Like for example, when I wanted to learn how to try to become a sprinter, let me express to you in these crits I'm doing, I never need to, to go all out for 20 seconds in Ironman racing ever. Yeah. <laughs> never. It's kind of the absolute opposite of anything you've ever done. Surely. Exactly. So my point is when, when I want to supplement, um, you know, you know, compensate for the lack of outdoor riding, I do enjoy workouts and um like you know Zwift academy will do will label it for you so endurance writing or here learn about sprinting or learn about threshold mm -hmm. and they'll do the workouts for you and they talk to you via like someone they talk to you the whole time meaning it'll put your uh, smart trainer too in erg workout even it, so the watts will just go based on your FTP. And what I'm mm -hmm. saying to you is it's so easy because you're learning something too. So then you're learning how to be a smart writer when you go outside. So that's how I would um, help compensate for that lack of outdoor writing is just put yourself in um, those type of workouts that are easy. It's in there already. One, mm -hmm. two, throw yourself in a race. Okay. Yeah. Throw yourself in one. That's maybe, I don't know, only five miles at first and then slowly build up and you'll see how, how much fitness is gained when you're racing other people, even if it is virtual, just, just, mm -hmm. you know, throw your hat in the ring. That's what I say. And, and it really works wonders when you go outside. Yeah, I've, I, you know, I've, uh, I thought I'd use up all my uh, indoor riding tokens way back when I used to, <laughs> when I used to ride in the garage in the UK, and oh my god, it was just like the most miserable thing. You just literally be watching rain come down and riding away, and um, Zwift has completely transformed my view on indoor riding. You know, I really enjoy it. I didn't think I'd ever say that about indoor riding, um, but yeah, I, I am a convert, like many of us, um, over the last year or so, but. So yes. happy to hear because now it's like you look forward to going to your garage. It's not like watching <laughs> paint dry anymore. It's like you're you're having fun with others all over the world. So that's good. Absolutely, which is what we need right now. We do, we do. <laughs> MBK, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and expertise and candid insights as always. Uh, you're a rock star. Thank you. You got it, EK. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Next up, we chat with senior editor and gear guru Chris Foster, who's going to give us his insights on all the gear you need when training and racing indoors. So we're joined now by Chris Foster. Chris is our resident gear guru, the gear geek in the house. Chris, <laughs> welcome. Rude. No, never. <laughs> geek is derogatory. How dare you? Okay. You prefer guru. That's is that good. correct? I, I appreciate guru. guru. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, awesome. Well, you know a fair few things about the uh, the indoor training world. Obviously, it's a world that's full of equipment, and having the right equipment and gear is uh, makes your experience significantly better or worse. Um, and you were going to kick off by talking us through some of the or the three major types of of trainer that you uh, typically ride indoors. Yeah. So I mean, back in the day, you know, back in the day, like the '90s. Um, people just had a few trainers, you know, there's like a couple brands, they did, um, you know, magnetic resistance, they did air resistance, they were super loud, then came along fluid trainers. Um, but those were all what we kind of call like dumb trainers, um, trainers that don't hook up to the internet, that don't, um, sense power, that don't do cadence, um, things like that. Um, but now there's like a whole lot more. I mean, there's more than just dumb trainers. There's more than just smart trainers. There's, um, like the first thing that, you know, some cyclists kind of, some cyclists like to brag about this is like mm -hmm. a big badge of honor um are rollers yes and if you don't know what rollers are you probably shouldn't be riding them 
That's probably the easiest <laughs> way to put them. But um, so basically, uh, a traditional set of rollers, you know, requires some amount of skill to stay on. Like literally, you can fall off a set of rollers. Um, yeah. Yeah, you need balance. You need to have a smooth pedal stroke. If you don't have a smooth pedal stroke, you feel it. If you don't have good balance, you feel it because you hit the ground. Um, I mean, there are triathletes who can ride on rollers, um, even in the aero bars, but they can't usually do it very long. Um, it's not super productive. Um, traditional rollers don't provide resistance. They just kind of spin both your wheels at the same time. Um, there are a few rollers, rollers that do um, resistance. Um, and even a few smart rollers and we'll get into what smart means in a second, but, um, so, you know, rollers are this kind of old school, like badge of honor, like you can do them. You're awesome. You can't, you know, you're a newbie, whatever, but, but really for a lot of triathletes, they're not a particularly useful tool. And some people will argue with me about that. Um, but if, you know, it's a good thing to have a set of rollers, if it's like your third or second indoor training, you know, platform. Or whatever. Yeah, I think back in the day, they were a good way to mimic the real road riding experience, right? Because yeah. you, obviously you have to engage your core in a way that you don't when you just sat on a trainer, uh, on a regular trainer, or right. a, an old school trainer. Yeah. Um, like if you I know I always racer, used to. Like rollers yeah. are awesome because you, yeah. you get comfortable, yeah. you know, you can move around, you move your upper right. body, you feel good in there. Um, but yeah, now... You know, there are, there are advancements like, you know, smart rollers, rollers with resistance. They even have shaped rollers that kind of put you in this little pocket um, in the middle so you have less of a chance of rolling off. But, um, but really, you know, the usefulness for triathletes is, is minimal, aside from bragging rights. Right. Um, yeah. And so, there's so many more exciting things out there now. Yeah, yeah, truly. Um, and then there's dumb trainers, kind of like I said before. Dumb trainers, they're just basic trainers that provide some sort of resistance. You don't plug them into the wall. You don't plug them into a computer. Um, these, these are your trainers that are really good for like a brick workout. You bring them to the track. You have yeah. your, your heart rate zones. Or you could even use you know, a power meter on your bike in conjunction with a dumb trainer. Because yeah. um, now, now you've got power, right? If you, if you already got power on your bike... Dumb trainer is probably fine for a lot of situations. Um, like, yeah, those are just workouts. You're not going to be able to do Zwift. You're not going to be able to. I mean, you can, but not with the same, you know, great experience um, that a lot yeah. of people like. Um, but they're cheaper. Um, they're simpler. Um, and they don't require power. So this is the, the thing you bring to the track. That's what I always tell people. Or the pool deck yeah. if you're super advanced. I've used them on the pool deck too. That's something yeah. that you see quite often here, especially well, obviously in the summer. Yeah, everybody oh, lining yeah. up there on the pool deck with their uh, trainers, do a quick swim, swim bike brick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that dumb trainer, perfect for that. Like yeah, they're lighter, absolutely. simple, you can get them wet, doesn't matter, whatever. Um, so they definitely have their place. Like, you know, they're not obsolete, I don't think. I mean, some people say they're obsolete now, but they have plenty of purpose, especially for triathletes. Yeah, and especially um, if you're on a budget and you don't want to spend a ton of cash on a smart trainer. Totally. Like, I mean, I know a lot of tri triathletes will bring um, bring a dumb trainer to uh, to transition for warm up. Mm -hmm. You know, if, you, yep. if you've got a bike course that's closed um, or it's going to be dark, it's not going to be safe. You're worried about flatting or something like that. People will bring a dumb trainer, warm up yep. on that. That's awesome. Perfect. Like, I think that's yep. great. Great yep. use for dumb, dumb trainer. Um, and then finally, smart trainers is like what everyone's talking about. You know, yeah. like you're, you're getting your power getting your cadence um both of those both well power is being transmitted but also received in a way from whatever you're using so it's kind of a two-way street um using you know bluetooth amp plus or even wahoo has a new hardwired one mm -hmm. um 
you know, you're putting out amount of power, your guy on the screen or your lady on the screen is speeding up or slowing down, you know, on something like Zwift. Um, yeah. You hit a hill. And I mean, this is all very basic stuff, but there are probably listeners out there who have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, you know, you hit a hill, resistance goes up. You go downhill, resistance goes down. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the smart trainer in a nutshell. Um, the, the kind of downside of a smart trainer is, you know, they're more expensive. Like, you know, I think they start yeah. at about $400. Um, the, the sweet spot is kind of that 700 to 1000 Um We've got this brand new one from Italy that we'll be reviewing soon. It's $2,200. And it's just the smart trainer. We're not even talking about a smart bike, you know, like a Peloton or, or right. um, Wahoo has one. Um, it's just the trainer, but it's supposed to be like whisper silent. But um, Which brand is this? Oh, my gosh. It's magnetic something. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, it was a small Italian brand. And one mm. of our reviewers kind of approached me with it. It sounds crazy it sounds like very italian like everything is yeah. the most you know like it's the quietest it is beautiful for that price tag you would hope so i know I know, you hope it rides the bike for you too yeah i know so um i think you could i think they even say something like oh you rent you rent this trainer like you might not buy it oh, wow. <laughs> maybe you get, okay. you get like a lease on it or something you know like a car i don't know <laughs> but but uh but we'll be checking that out in the next month and um but that's definitely the highest end of, yeah. of uh, smart trainers yeah, yeah. um so yeah so th- those are the, the three basics um and you know we'll talk about a little bit within each category there are different kinds too but yeah right and so uh yeah earlier in the show we spoke to, to meredith kessler and she uh, gave us the rundown of her uh, her pain cave or her she shed as she calls it um <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> Yeah, it's very funny. Um, and obviously, like having a pain cave or having a great setup at home is such a great way to make sure that you train consistently and you mm-hmm. you, know, you save you save a ton of time. It's very it's a very efficient way of training. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, t- tell us uh, a little bit about your thoughts on pain caves and uh, and setups and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, there's all sorts of different kinds of trainers. Just like I was saying, outside of smart, dumb, and rollers, um, and each one kind of has its use. Like. For instance, you know, you train all winter, um, you have a dedicated space, you're not taking your bike on and off the trainer a lot, um, you maybe even have a dedicated trainer bike, you're probably looking at something like a wheel off trainer, and, mm-hmm. and the, or, or direct drive is what some of them are known as. Um, mm-hmm. What that looks like is it's basically like a hub with a cassette built into the trainer, you remove your rear wheel, and mm-hmm. you mount your um, rear dropouts and derailleur right onto this thing as if it was a wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, so the upsides to these things are, you know, you get that direct connection, um, perfect power transfer, or near perfect power transfer. You get more accuracy. Um, it's more stable, um, generally a better kind of ride experience. You don't have to be checking your tires all the time. Um, mm-hmm. You can calibrate it less. Um, in fact, a lot of them have automatic calibration now. Um, so, so and they're quieter. They're a lot quieter too, I almost forgot to mention. Um, so those, those are great. Like those, but you know, you need to have a cassette on there. Do you want to swap your cassette on and off your wheel all the time? Um, it's definitely not as easy as just clamping the wheel on. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so if you're riding once a week or once every two weeks or once a month on a trainer, the wheel off is probably not ideal. Right. Um, because it's just, they're expensive. You know, they, they start around, around like 700. I think they have some at 700 now. Most are around 1,000. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I know Meredith mentioned the the Saris H3. That's a you know great example of kind of that mid um, price thousand dollar wheel off trainer. Um, another big favorite is the Wahoo Kicker. Um, yeah. Super popular. That one runs around twelve hundred. Um, the new version. The thing I like about that one is the new version has this this little kind of side to side rocking action, which like when I tell you like a trainer rocks, you're like sounds like you set up your trainer wrong. You know, like you generally don't want it moving <laughs> while you're riding on it. Um, but I've tried this one. It's cool. It, it, it's a very controlled rocking. It uses these little kind of buffers. Um, and, I, and we'll talk a little bit more about kind of motion um, on your trainer in a second. But, um, but I found it, it makes for a more comfortable ride. Now, like I said, that one's around $1,200. Um, we like, in terms of budget, wheel off trainers, the Tax Flux S is good. Um, that one's around 750. Um, but like I said, like that's, you have a space for it. You're on it a lot. Maybe you do almost all of your riding, you know, inside you're just addicted to Zwift. Um, you want accuracy at all costs. Um, the other side of these wheel off trainers is they're not as easy to store. Um, some of them, it's not really a slide under your bed situation. Yeah. And they can be pretty heavy or cumbersome. Super heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And and awkward to carry, like, you know, funny balance you know, kind of thing. Um, like you're not, you're probably not bringing that, even if you could plug it in and even if it was a good idea, um, you're probably not bringing that to the pool. Right. Yeah. That's you know, what, exactly I mean, what I was about to say. Yeah. Aside from the damage you might do to it, it's, mm-hmm. it's just too much, you know? You, you, yeah. So. so if you're somebody who's looking just to hop on and off the trainer and put it, be able to store it away and you're not riding, you know, like Meredith was saying, she's riding hundred percent of the time indoors at the moment. Yeah. Um, if you're just somebody who's hop, hopping on and off, want to be able to store it away easily, jump on and off it pretty easily, then the wheel on trainer is a far better solution, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The the wheel on, um, and that comes in, I guess I should have said the wheel off generally is just a smart trainer. Um, the wheel on has both smart and dumb flavors. Um, traditionally, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, those, it's going to be way easier to clamp your bike on. Um, that is something you could bring for a brick. That's something you're riding once a week, you know, maybe yeah. for your key workout, even if it's not a brick, you know, you've got to hit X power for X time. You don't want to worry about stop signs. You don't want to worry about lights. Um, you just really want to dial in that precise workout, um, mm-hmm. but not riding it every day um, because a wheel on trainer, um, you have to check your tire pressure fairly often yep. um, because it's that interface between the tire and this little kind of drum. Um, Whereas before on the, the wheel off, you're dealing with chained cassette. Like it's, it's yes. as much transfer as you're getting when you're riding a bike. This kind of adds this layer, this rubber layer, this air layer. Um, so it requires more calibration. It's not generally as accurate, um, though they say it is. Um, it's got a much smaller footprint. Um, definitely slides under a bed, uh, most yeah. of them. Um, I would say 99% of wheel on trainers are much louder. Um, so if you're in an apartment situation with someone underneath you, um, yeah, you're not going to be popular with your neighbors. No, no. Yeah. They're going to want to kill you or, you know, you're trying to do it while the kids are sleeping. Yeah. It's, they're pretty loud. Like think of like a really loud fan. Um, and some are better than others, but, but really they're, they're substantially louder than a wheel off. Um, yeah. so if sound is an issue, wheel off is another good way to go. If, if, you know, even if none of the other criteria applies to you, um, but yeah, for the for the wheel on, I uh, we like the the tax flow. Um, mm-hmm. 
for a smart trainer. I think it's about three, 370 bucks. Super, super portable. It's one of the more portable um, wheel on smart trainers that we found. It folds down really nicely. It's lightweight. Um, it's kind of got a nice look to it. You know, it's not as utilitarian. Um, but then for a dumb trainer that's wheel on and is kind of utilitarian, we like the just that basic $300 Saris fluid too. Yeah, um, so that's perfect for somebody who's maybe just starting out, wants, exactly. something, wants something pretty basic. Yeah, or something you're just going to beat does the job. Up. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're yeah. going to throw in the back of your car, you're going to take it to the track and drop it on the track, not worry if someone's going to, you know, like push it over or not. It's just like, it's a, it's like a tool, you know? Yes. Um, but it's good. It's a solid trainer. It'll last, you know, almost forever. Like those yeah. things are really, really those solid. Bomb proof, yeah. Yeah. So those those are kind of the two big, you know, types yeah, okay. I had a tax flow for many, many years and put thousands of miles, indoor miles on it. So um, when I used to ride in the UK through the winter. So yeah, yeah. I can definitely speak to those. They are bomb-proof, those things. Yeah. Probably yeah. that's a very earlier iteration, I'm sure. But yeah. Um, yeah, So yeah, yeah, I guess really the uh, the trainer is the big is the big decision, the big the big investment um, yeah. and, the, and the kind of the, the centerpiece of your indoor indoor riding setup. Um, but there are obviously lots of other things you um, you need to think about and uh, you that can help make your ride more enjoyable when you're training indoors. So um, yeah, talk us through some of those, some of the basics when it comes to building out your pain caves. It's not yeah. just the trainer or your she shed, right? Or your she shed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, once I mean once you've got the trainer kind of nailed down, because that's going to take some research. Like I said, there's yeah. lots of factors. You know, is it sound? Is it accuracy? Is it wheel on, wheel off? Um, once you get those things nailed down, I know you guys touched on some of the the other outer essentials that you need to, to build up that cave. Um, but I've got a few of those things that are my favorite that we've tested yeah. and, and we've done reviews on and stuff. Um, number one for me, a good fan. Like mm-hmm. if you have yeah. ever tried to do a trainer workout, like for whatever reason, without a fan, it's Ooh. it's it's not even like uncomfortable. It just feels abusive. Like... <laughs> You're just, yeah, and from a training and physiology point of view, you're really you're really not maximizing your workout, you know, right. unless you're training for a hot and humid race and you're purposely doing that and that's the, right. that's the objective. Like, right. yeah, right, ah. yeah, you're you're not, yeah, you're not getting any adaptation there because your your core temperature is so high that yeah. you're not, you know, you're not hitting your power numbers. Your your heart mm-hmm. rate's sky high right off the bat. So yeah, it's just a matter of like just blowing yourself out for no reason. So anyway, good a good fan super yeah. important um there are some really i mean i know wahoo has a fan that adjusts its uh wind speed based on how fast you're going i've used mm-hmm. it you just end up leaving it on high the whole time you know yeah. like <laughs> yeah um i mean again unless you're trying to train for something and you do want some sort of variation to to simulate that like i remember just being like yeah i just want to high the whole time like and yeah and it it didn't put out like a crazy amount of air i thought um so i like Something like this cheap, I mean, not super cheap, but like there's a $70 fan that you can find on Amazon. From, it's called Lasco. Uh, big 20-inch fan, just pushes out a ton of wind. Um, I know Ryobi has some cool um, portable fans with uh, that kind of uses that same battery pack you could find in a lot of their power tools. Mm-hmm. Um, those are really cool. Like, again, if you're on the track, um, if you're at the pool, you don't have to plug it in anything. Um, and they actually do put out a pretty good amount of air. Um, so I've liked those. They're a little more expensive and you have to kind of subscribe to the whole Ryobi, you know, tool world. Um, but I like those. Um, so from that, you need something like a good stand, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
it's one of those things like, ah, I'm not going to get a stand. I'm just going to set up my trainer and, you know, just do whatever. And then within like 20 minutes into your ride, you're like, oh, I'm trying to reach down onto the ground. Yeah. I'm going to fall off my trainer. I'm getting up. I'm stopping. I'm unclipping. All that. So just suck it up. Buy a fan. I mean, I'm sorry. Not a fan. Buy a fan also, but buy a stand. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, having everything in arms within arm's reach, especially especially as you know, we talked about with Meredith and we'll touch on, if you're going to get into on you know racing indoors then obviously yeah. you, you've got to have everything within arm's reach right. but even if for even if you're just training or well not just training but if you're for training sessions making sure that you've got everything within arm's reach is is super critical i think yeah i mean think about it like if you're outside training and you're riding you're doing a long ride with friends and you're like oh hold on i gotta get some water you stop your bike right. you unclip you yeah. get off your bike you bend down you know like yeah it's a, it's a huge handbrake so it's the equivalent of your your back pockets in your jersey or your you know wherever you're stashing all your all your all your stuff it's that kind of equivalent right right for yeah. the indoor world yeah and you yeah and you and you don't want to do that indoors because then it makes your back all hot and stuff like that so um yeah you gotta you gotta get the stand get a big stand um i know wahoo makes a great one for mm-hmm. 250 you know it's it's not nothing but it's not wild um in terms of cost um, you can find other stands that are kind of less cycling specific, um, you know, hardware, um, like a rolling tool stand. A lot of people yeah. use that. It's going to be way cheaper. Um, there are even some kind of generic ones online that are, you know, hundred bucks, something like that. Um, I, I know there are some, uh, there are some athletes that like to make their own too. I saw, uh, was oh, I yeah? watching? Oh, Cody Bills. That was it. He, one of his YouTube videos that he launched last week, he had his own homemade, uh, oh, cycling stand. So that's, that's super cool. Yeah, it was very cool. I love that. Yeah. 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 You could like do little cutouts for your water bottles and I'm sure all sorts of cool stuff. But that that's awesome. So yeah, DIY. DIY your cycling stand. Yeah, the DIY version. Yeah. Yes. I and love so one that. Of the, yeah. And then one of the things that we talked about earlier um, with Meredith was the importance of music and having good tunes, yeah. if you're, especially if you're going to do long rides on the trainer. Yeah. Um, so you were, mentioned, you were talking about waterproof headphones, which is yeah. something that I hadn't even thought of, which, oh, yeah. It's huge. Like... I mean, so like we talked about with the, the wheel off trainer, you know, that's kind of loud. Wheel on is like gale force. Um, so if you're trying to watch a movie or watch TV or music or whatever, like you got to get above that, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're listening without headphones, you're just destroying anyone within like, yeah. <laughs> within Again, like a block. Not going to be popular with the family no. or your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to get headphones. Um, they do have a lot of great, I mean, they effectively have to be waterproof, um, because you, I mean, you know how much you sweat when you're on the indoor trainer, even if you've got a great fan, you're just dumped. It's a sweaty business. Yeah. So, um, I don't think you need to go as far as like a submersible pair. I mean, I don't think that would be the worst thing. Um, but like I tried out the, uh, the JBL flash X's Mm -hmm. and I love those for indoor training. Um, they had pitched them as this pair of headphones that you could wear while cycling or running outdoors, which I am not a fan of, by the way, like I, yeah, separate, separate podcast conversation, but like, I need to know what's going on around me. For sure. That's a sense that I personally do not like being deprived of when I'm outside. I feel so uncomfortable. Like I, it's horrifying to me. Um, but so anyway, they pitched these headphones as, uh, you can hit a button and it starts to allow some of the sound inside in from the outside. Oh, um, very so cool. Yeah, it was cool. It was like, I was like, Hey, that's an awesome idea. I love that. So like when you start to get, you know, when you're on the trails, you're okay, but 
then you know when you get into a city area you can hit the button um and it was kind of like the reverse version of noise canceling like noise canceling mm-hmm. headphones have a microphone on the outside and they take in the like ambient sounds and then they kind of reverse it and mm-hmm. phase it into you so it's like if someone's screaming at you that sound is being phased like it's i don't know it's like it's kind of geeky well yeah maybe i am a geek, <gasps> it's All right, the geek. geek. here All we right. go here okay. we go fine 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 all right exhibit i showed my true a. colors exhibit yeah. a <laughs> once i get into like phasing sound i think i kind of called yeah. myself out on all right but so anyway <laughs> the uh these jbls they do kind of the, the reverse they use a microphone on the outside and they amplify the sound that comes on cool very um, cool so I tested them for a while outside because I'm like, this is going to be the thing that like changes my my argument about wearing headphones mm-hmm. while running or riding. And um, the problem was it it didn't amplify it enough. And what it did amplify generally was wind. Oh. So, so like. Oh, no, yeah, I couldn't do that. That would, be the, that would be game so over. So annoying. Yeah. It was like, oh. this is the worst. Not only can I not hear the cars around me, but all I'm just getting is like. You know, no. it was so bad. No. So like, okay, turn that off. And now I'm back to not hearing anything at all. So I'm like, well, okay. this is not the greatest thing. And, and maybe they fixed it or worked on it. I don't know. But um, I was not in love with it for that. And I, I wrote a review on the website. But for um, indoor riding. For this, it could be. Perfect. Yeah. Because yeah. then yeah. it's like, you know, you're hearing everything, the music, the TV, movie, whatever. But if someone comes in and is like, hey, you know, you get that because there's no wind, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and it also did the noise canceling thing. So if you didn't want to hear the trainer and you really want it, it did have like an isolation mode, um, mm-hmm. which you would never use outside, but, but you could obviously use indoors. Um, I loved them like those, um, the sound quality was amazing. I think that whole isolation and outdoor outside in thing was perfect for a trainer. Um, yeah. And so then also on the topic of the noise cancelling and you know minimizing sound and of you know obviously keeping uh, your neighbors and family on the right side of your you and your training ideas um the good rubber mat to prevent floor damage and to reduce the the vibration from the trainer into the floor right yeah absolutely like sure. a good floor, floor mat super important because you got to think you're going to be outputting just like this toxic <laughs> Um, you know, salty sweat that just corrodes yeah. everything. I mean, that's another yes. thing you should get. I, um, you know, something to cover your bike. If you're doing it enough, um, if you're not wiping it down every single ride, like this is an every yeah. single ride situation. Yeah, for sure. You will, you'll come to the end of the winter season with a locked headset with, you know, all sorts of stuff. And we've, we've written stories on how to, um, you know, care for your indoor training bike before and that's that's a whole other topic but but it's just getting something to cover that but yes. aside from covering that you got to cover the ground yeah. um because you're going to make these big stinky pools they're going to rot you know whatever you've got um, below but also you know if you get a, a thick enough rubber mat you're going to prevent um a lot of that sound yeah um, that vibration sound that will travel not just through you know to if you have neighbors below but to everyone in the whole house um yeah. i know sarah's has a good one for 80 bucks um yes. again i think they're they're cheaper ones some people you know a lot of people try to use a yoga mat um yeah but i'm found, not sure that's gonna cut it right right that's like one of those yeah. things you're like oh shoot i just got a new trainer i what do i have around the house oh i'll use the yoga mat but you're gonna chew up the yoga mat you're gonna ruin it basically and it's yeah. it's not thick enough like you need you need rubber um 
So yeah, that, I guess it comes back to, again, like if this is something you're going to be doing a lot and you're going yeah. to be consistently riding indoors, then it is yeah. worth investing in this in this gear because it lasts and you make the whole experience a whole lot more comfortable and better for everybody, not not just you. <laughs> right. It's not just yeah. about you, triathletes. Remember that. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. That's a, yeah. Hard truths from the gear geek. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've, re, we've rebranded you during the course of this podcast. There you go. So they're kind of like the standout essentials that you want for training indoors. But yeah. I know as the gear geek, you like looking at more of the cool gadgets. Yes, too. of so course. Take us down that little rabbit hole. But, sure. um, <laughs> so like with so many people riding inside now, of course, companies are like, how can we make more things? How can yeah. we make people spend more money? Yeah. Um, and there's, there's some cool stuff out there. Um, you know, most trainers nowadays come with a riser block. I mean, yep. I'm sure people who back in the day, you know, used a phone book, like they don't even yes, make phone books anymore. Yep. Yeah. Like now the phone book is like an inch thick. It's not going to do you any good. Um, I'm not even sure I'd know where to find a phone book these days. But. <laughs> oh, poor phone company. Um, <laughs> but uh, so most of them come with riser blocks now, um, which is, you know, essential. You know, it keeps your yeah. front wheel in, in place. It keeps it the same level. Um, but, uh, I know Wahoo, who seems to be like the Kings of almost superfluous accessories. Um, they, they, I know you guys talked about this a little bit before and you couldn't quite come up with the name, but it was the Wahoo climb. Yes. Yeah. The Wahoo climb. Yes. This this wild gadget that you, you hook your front fork onto, you take off your front wheel, um, and it raises and lowers your front end as you go up and down virtual hills. Yeah, I've tested it a couple of times. It's actually yeah. it's pretty cool. It took a, it took a little while to get used to. Yeah, it's like it's not something you're used. To, it's not something that was familiar to somebody who's just ridden a lot of yeah. uh, miles on with a wheel, wheel on trainer back in the day. Like being having a the you know, the front of the bike going up and down was super yeah. weird to start yeah. with, but actually very cool. Especially yeah. when you're in, if you're like riding in Zwift and you're in game and yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah, and you use different muscles. You know, like once the front end goes up, you're you're kind of stabilizing a slightly different core if you're sprinting yep. and um, definitely more realistic. I mean, it's, yeah. it's super cool, but it's also $600. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So this is, if you're really looking to like, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's and you're yeah. in your pain cave type thing. Yeah. And for sure an accessory like that, that is someone who has got either a bike that's dedicated to indoor cycling mm-hmm. or you're in for months and months because you know, you're probably using that with a direct drive trainer. So you're, you're looking at yeah. taking off both wheels and, yeah. you know, calibrating this thing, hooking it up, um, all that stuff. So it's, um, it's not, it's not too hard to hook up, to hook up, I guess, but, um, uh, it's still, it's, it's not something you're going to want to do once a week. Like nobody's going to do that. Right. Um, but in, in the more like budget front wheel toys, um, elite just came out with this, uh, it's a steering block, which seems weird but um it lets you steer in certain situations in zwift um mm-hmm. so you can kind of you can get in and out of people's drafts you can um you can hug corners closer so it'll get you through on a better line um you know it's only 65 bucks but you know it only works in zwift and we've found that you know not that many races allow it so okay. really make sure before you buy that one that you're conscious of where you know, like if you do, you know, 10 races of a season in Zwift mm-hmm. and, and one of them allows the steering option, it's probably not worth it. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a neat idea. It just connects with, uh, I think it was Amp Plus and Bluetooth. It did actually hook up really quickly and easily. Um, you know, it's 65 bucks. It's even if it, you don't use it a ton, 
you know riser block right uh, you could have but um but yeah so th- that's that's kind of the first thing that's the first like kind of extra almost superfluous <laughs> gadget like i said yeah um, and there's some others that make you maybe simulate the the real road riding experience a little bit more like the uh the saris mp1 right the, the yeah moves. yeah so the mp1 i think meredith talked about that real quick um yeah but it's like it's like a piece of furniture like it's it's beautiful it's like wood finished um but just like a piece of furniture like is awkward to move um it's so it's a it's a platform that it's you, a platform that you put your bike on right yeah, yeah. you put yeah. You, you strap your trainer onto it it's compatible with most most all trainers regardless of you know wheel on wheel off whatever mm-hmm. um and then you strap your front wheel to it and the whole thing will it'll rock left and right with a pretty good amount of um good amount of play but it also slides forward and backward um which is kind of a weird sensation it doesn't rock forward and backward i think some mm-hmm. people think that it does that it doesn't um but it slides so you can kind of you can feel the bike moving underneath you you know if you're yeah. sprinting you're kind of pushing it underneath you yeah. um it's supposed to kind of help with your you know core engagement better workout but for me like i mean i don't know it probably was a better workout but i found it to be way more comfortable Mm-hmm. Um, yep. than just a, a stationary trainer because I mean that's the thing that kills your you know your underparts is <laughs> just you're, you're shifting around on a seat and when you're outside the bike shifts with you right yes. so you're but when you're on a trainer indoors I mean that thing is just a pillar you know like you're just shifting around on this like yeah post and it's it's it just I don't know it can really drive into you for <laughs> after a while yeah um, I really enjoyed riding on the well we used to have one in the old office here in Boulder um, oh yeah. The, and it was out in the warehouse. It was so huge. It was always out in the warehouse. Massive. And uh, I really enjoyed just being able to get up out of the saddle and the, feel the bike moving underneath me in, the same, in a similar-ish kind of way that you would uh, if you're getting up out of the saddle and riding on the road, you know, like going you know, sprinting yeah. for signs or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. And it's, it's nice to have that that ability or capacity to move move around and have the bike moving underneath you. Yeah. Like you say, it makes it way more comfortable and more comfortable. helps replicate some of that real road riding that you don't always get a whole lot in indoor riding but yeah absolutely and for triathletes i mean even if we're not standing and sprinting a ton you know you're sitting in your aero bars you need to engage your core for that so you can feel comfortable i mean you've seen people who you know this isn't going to be a fix it for that but you've seen people who try to come out of their aero bars to get a drink and it's like the bike is sailing like left and right they're like you know a danger out there on the course um and dialing in some of that core um, while you're indoors is, is a good way yeah. to, you know, it's not as good as riding outdoors, but if that's what you've got, um, yeah. and it's $1,200. So th- again, that's yeah. like your, I mean, that's probably like the 10th thing you'll end up buying yeah. for your pain cave, but, right. but it is super cool. Um, the only other thing you can do, uh, there's two other options for that kind of movement. Um, I mentioned it a little bit before, but Wahoo's brand new kicker, um, has some kind of little bit of play in these mm-hmm. little um, like rubber bumpers that they put in the feet. Um, and actually you can buy those bumpers as an accessory. I think it's like under a hundred bucks and you can attach it to your older model of kicker. Right. Um, that one, I didn't find it did a lot for like standing and sprinting stuff because it's just not quite enough play to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one's definitely more of a comfort situation. Like it was, right. it was a little bit more comfortable. Um, yeah. So, and then the final one is actually, it's been around for a while. And a lot of people I think are coming back to this is uh Kurt kinetics, rock and roll trainer. Like, Oh, not heard of that one. 
Oh yeah, it, it was around for a while. It's this. It's a a wheel. Well, I think they have a wheel off version now too. But the wheel on version has been around for a while. The whole rear end just kind of sways. It does this weird swaying thing, um, hmm. and some people don't like it because it is like a little um, kind of a little too dynamic for some people. Um, right. And I don't think it really does the. It's not as much of a comfort situation as it is way more of a workout core stabilizer kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but those have been popular for a long time. And I, I went to their website the other day and they're sold out just like everyone. So I think people are oh, kind of yeah. starting to see, you know, if you're spending enough time inside, you want yeah. to get on something that's dynamic. You want, you know, to replicate the road. You want to work your core. Um, like that one is, I think they start at like 400 um, for, a, okay. for the Kurt Rock and Roll. So those are, those are kind of like the, the most interesting little kind of weird things that you can find for an indoor cave. That yeah. We've I mean, noticed. there's so, there's so much stuff out there now. It's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a, and as obviously since the pandemic and throughout the pandemic when everybody's been mostly, you know, riding indoors a lot more and Zwift and all the online platforms have taken off so much more, all this stuff is sometimes hard to find and, you know, obviously yeah. incredibly popular. Um, and what, you know, one of the, um, markets or segments of the market that's really, really done well in, in recent months or recent, you know, or over the last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's so much fun stuff to make riding. I mean, riding inside used to be just such a chore. And now, yeah, all the gear, just like always helps. <laughs> all the gear, all the gear. Uh, so what's the longest, so yeah, indulge us, Chris. What's the longest ride you've done indoors? And what uh, what equipment would you have been using for that? Oh, my gosh. See, I... Putting you on the spot now. I know. I'm not a huge fan of riding indoors. I live in, I live you live in, in LA, um, so yeah, yeah, you do. I live in LA. Um, I th I'm I'm sure back in the day I did a three hour ride, but I was never a long course person. Um, mm -hmm. I think I would have been riding. Can't remember. You know, it would have been a Saris actually, and it was probably a Saris fluid too. It was before smart trainers were even around. I mean, I yeah. tested all the all the smart trainers that we've talked about, um, but for my longest one, it was probably a fluid too. Uh, and it very probably cool. didn't have a very good setup. This was before I knew anything about <laughs> gear. I'm sure I suffered the in the before, sun. The yeah. days before smart trainers. Right. Just, or the days before smart Chris. He's oh. <laughs> <laughs> just dumb Chris. Okay. Oh, well, on that note, we will say thank you very much <laughs> thank <laughs> for you joining for us. Me. Yes. And thanks for all your insights. And uh, yeah, we appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Emma Kate. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, that's a wrap on this episode of Fitter and Faster. Thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Triathlete Fitter and Faster wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us. It helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. We'll be back next month, but until then, happy training. <laughs>